So as you know, uh, Pastor Philip always prays for you. Today he's down with flu and he's still praying for you. Instead, uh, Pastor John Isaac from Kingsway Church accepted to come and share the message with us. Uh, pastor Isaac um, is a great pastor as far as I know, a uh, great teacher, <laughs> great teacher and great counselor. Often when I, I walk by his office, I see his counseling people. It doesn't mean that you're going to run and say, okay, okay, counsel me. He's really, really doing a great job. And the, the, the thing is that whenever I, I talk to him, just for a short conversation, I feel blessed. The blessing that as a pastor has. And it's a great privilege not to have only him, but he also brought Layton, his wife, here. And they're married for over 40 years. Awesome. God bless you. Now, before we hear the message, uh, we're going to pray for Junior High, and then I'm going to release Junior High to Alex. Alex is back there. Okay. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are praying for our um, young generation, future leaders. We're asking for your blessing upon them, Lord. With all the challenges that there is in this world, um, you're asking for your protection. You're asking to open their minds. You're asking to give them power to do your will, to be light in the darkness. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor John. Thank you. Well, I'm on. Okay. Thank you. Uh, well, thank you. I, I thank Philip for inviting me to come and be here with you this morning. And thank you for accepting me as I come and receiving me. Uh, Philip and I share an office complex together. His office is just next to mine. And uh, so we've been getting to know each other uh, for the last several years. And uh, we really enjoy, I enjoy being in the office. And Jessica brings in, I think, the most beautiful children. I've ever seen in the world. And uh, Joe and Roxy are there with their children. who They're beautiful as well, but they're probably the most energetic children <laughs> in the world. And, uh, but it's just a joy to be in there in the office and get to know them. So Philip, on Friday, it took him a little while to ask me. Uh, he didn't come just right out with it. He was kind of hemming and hawing around. Was I busy this weekend? Was I available uh, to speak? And finally he said that he was sick, uh, or getting sick. He felt like it was starting, what his kids had was starting to come on him. And I said, yeah, absolutely, I'd be glad to come and do it for you. And you know, the only thing worse than being a pastor and getting sick on a Friday or Saturday when you know you need to be speaking Sunday is being an associate pastor and getting a call from the senior pastor on Saturday night, or even early Sunday morning, saying, oh, I'm too sick to be there. You've got to fill in for me. And there's like absolute panic. Oh, my gosh, are you kidding me? So I'm sure Joe was very thankful that I'm here this morning as well. Um, I wanted to share a message that really is new and fresh to me. It's something I've just been working on and putting together. I've shared 
different components of this message in our church over the years, but there's something that's really new and fresh in it for me. And I just have been working on this out of a passage in John 17. And so Philip said, well, we're kind of in this series. You feel free to speak on anything you want to speak about, but we're doing this series in the Gospel of John, and we're up to John 17, and that's what my text was going to be for Sunday. And I went, oh, I've got this message. I haven't even spoken, I haven't preached it in our own church yet out of John 17, so I'm, I'm ready to go. So, uh, but I'm going to the end of the chapter. I think when he comes back next week, he'll start at the beginning of the chapter to fill in what I miss. But I'm calling this Living in Christian Community. And Ryan's going to be going through my PowerPoint, so I pray that you have grace upon you, Ryan, and can keep up with me. I do way too many PowerPoint slides. I've had men in my church that are, you know, professional presenters, and they say the best PowerPoint slide or best PowerPoint presentation is never more than 10 slides maximum. And I have messages that are like 60 slides. Uh, I think I've, you know, honed this one down to maybe 30 uh, this morning. So anyway, appreciate, Ryan, you doing that for me. So let's read the text out of John 17. I'm going to start in John 17, verse 20. And this is out of the New Living Translation. I do not, and this is, this is this awesome priestly prayer of Jesus. Uh, shortly before, he's going to be facing the cross, and he just prays this awesome prayer in John 17. So this is starting down at verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, so they may be one as we are one. I am in them, and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory that you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. O righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do, and these disciples know you sent me. I have revealed you to them, and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them, and I will be in them. This is such an awesome passage of Scripture. And here Jesus is talking about that they would be one, they would experience unity like I have with you because you're in me and I'm in you and they're in us. And then he says, we want them to be one so that I am in them and you are in me and there's this, we're all in this thing together. Jesus is in the Father and the Father is in Jesus and Jesus is in us and we're in him and We're in them, and they're in us, and it's because of all of that that we can experience oneness or unity, and as we experience that oneness or that unity, the world recognizes that it's a God thing, that Jesus is the Son of God. He was sent by the Father. Something's real about this thing that we're experiencing that is eternal. That's what the world, that's how the world should respond when they see this common unity that we have together. So recently I did like this six-month 
exercise of just studying every church mission statement that I could find. And today, because of the internet, there are millions of church mission statements. And I basically saw that there are three key values that shape church culture that are all captured in every mission statement that you see. It's, it's the, the vertical, it's us worshiping God. It has to do with our relationship with Him and our love for Him. That's always one component. It's our love for one another. It's the family of God. It's the church family. It's ministering to one another, all the one another passages through the New Testament. So that's another component. And then there's the mission, going into the world. And every mission statement of every church I've looked at has these three components in it some way. And they're all used like there's some really clever little sayings, you know. I think at our church we talk about engaging Christ, embracing one another, and, and uh, uh, no, wait a minute. Now I've forgotten our mission statement. <laughs> it's not engaging Christ. What is it? Because it, it's engaging our mission is the last one. Anyway, encountering Christ, that's it. Knew it would come to me. So it's encountering Christ embracing one another, the body of Christ, and engaging our mission going into the world. Well, every church mission statement has some component. Do you know what your mission statement is? You have a mission statement, and you probably, some of you may know it. The leaders will know it because they've worked on it so hard. Uh, And it's probably published somewhere. And I bet you you can find those three components in your mission statement. The reason that they're there is because that's what church is. It's those three things, and you can find all three of those things in John 17. Jesus' priestly prayer covers these three components of why the church is in the earth. So the thing that I kind of focused in on for this teaching out of John 17, 20 through 26 is the family part of it, the middle part, the second component, this concept of unity, oneness community of the saints, the Christian community, the spiritual family. Spiritual family is basically living in community. And the word community is an old English word that comes from two words, common and unity. So we experience community when we experience something in common that brings us together and we're unified around that common thing, we experience community. Well, community is something that the world is desperate for. I mean, I've read so many sociological articles over the last few years about the lack of community that's experienced these days. And probably the most community that here in Silicon Valley people experience is in the workplace. And that's kind of a pseudo-community. Because you're there with the people around you because you're both getting paychecks. And if you lost your job you probably wouldn't stay in touch with these people because you would have a new community you would go to where your, other pay, your next paycheck was coming from, right? So it's kind of a pseudo-community. It's not real community. But we've lost the sense of community in our world today. We're very mobile. We've moved away from extended family, most of us. And church is one of the few places that we can experience genuine community. And what I'm going to present to you today is... The notion that church is the only place we can experience genuine community. And I want to unpack that a little bit. There's a lot of ways we can experience what we call community. 
But I think Christian community is the only real, substantive community that you can experience in the earth anywhere. So community has existed in the Godhead from all of eternity. There has been divine community. Before the world was created, there was community between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Trinity is a community. It's a fellowship. It's a community. It's not just an abstract concept. Community is an eternal reality. So I, my next slide, I think, is just a simple picture of the Trinity. And just go through that, John, I mean, uh, Ryan, bringing up those components. So this is you know, probably the best way I can try to get my, ri- my mind around the concept of Trinity, the three persons of one substance, the three different individuals but one God. Uh, it's the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God, but the Father is not the Spirit, the Spirit is not the Son, the Son is not the Father, and somehow... We have this concept that we have to try to understand, which we can't ever really understand, that they're three and one. So from the very beginning, before the creation of our beginning, there was community in the Trinity. And then out of that sense of community that the Father, Son, and the Spirit were enjoying for all of eternity, they said... Let's create man that can be added to our community. And you remember in Genesis, it says, God said, let us, our community here, in this divine community that's in eternity, let us make man in our image. And so man was created. Out of community, man was created. And then community, this eternal community was in man in creation. And right at the very beginning, you know, God looked at Adam there all by himself in the garden, and he goes, wait a minute, this isn't community. It's not good that he's alone. Now, he still had this community with the Godhead. It said that the Father and Adam walked in the garden, and they were in communion with one another, But God created Eve because there was something of human community that he saw man needed, right? And so he created Eve, and Adam looked at Eve and went, I think the Hebrew is zazazut. (laughs) And it's kind of the Hebrew expression. If we translate that into English, it would be hot dog. (laughs) This is it. It was, there was community, there was somebody he could share life with that he could extend this eternal community that he was in with the Godhead into another person's life. And they could have this thing that we call fellowship, right? So it was this beautiful thing that was in the garden. And then man, humanity, lost eternal community in the fall. And from that point on, that divine, eternal community that existed in the Godhead was withdrawn from man. And man, throughout history, has tried to reconnect to that community. They've tried to find that community. 
The Tower of Babel, I think, partly was about trying to get back into that community. But it was only in Christ, the second Adam, the first fruit of a whole new race of humanity, that eternal community was once again experienced by man. As as we invite Christ into our lives, it's wonderful that we experience His saving grace and His loving mercy and His forgiveness for all of our sins. But what I've been realizing as I've been meditating on this, John 17, is that there's so much more than just getting saved and going to heaven that we get to experience. That in that moment that Christ comes into our life, we reconnect with eternal community. We're once again drawn back into that divine community with the Father, Son, and the Spirit. There's something that happens that man has missed from the fall in the garden that is restored in Christ that we then get to experience when we're in Christ. Jesus invites us back into Christian community. We inherit Christian community when Christ comes into our life. So the thing that I'm realizing is that we don't create community. We, it's not like, okay, guys, part of our mission is that we've got to be this fellowship where we're sharing our lives with each other and taking care of one another. We're this glorious church that's united in Christ. So let's create community. Whatever we have to do in our structure to create it, let's do it and be committed to it because it's important to God. We don't create community. That's what I want to present to you this morning. We are invited into eternal community. We're brought into it in Christ, and we get to experience it. We inherit it. It's a free gift to us when we're in Christ. And then once we experience it in our relationship with with Christ, we have this desire to extend it back into human community. We want to experience it with other people who have tasted and touched and experienced this eternal community with the Father, Son, and Spirit. Those are people we want to hang with. We want to be in touch with. We want to have relationship with. I believe people are always looking for community. I, let me share just a little bit about my own personal story. Is Am I supposed to be done at 11? Wow, okay. Forget my personal story. Uh, well, I'll just share it real quickly. Um, you know, I grew up in the 60s. I'm a product of the 60s, so we rebelled against everything that we could rebel against. And I became a legitimate full-on radical hippie. Not a weekend hippie, not a pseudo-hippie, not a hippie wannabe. I was a hippie. You know, from 16 to 19, I got saved at 19. Those uh, four, three to four years, I was like radical hippie, living in Hippieville, USA. Uh, All the things that hippies did, all the drugs they took, all the lifestyle that went along with that. I left home Uh, hitchhiked across the United States, lived in hippie communes, uh, participated in anti-war rallies, burnt my giraffe card. Uh, I mean, I was full-on hippie. I was looking for community, and I thought, we have found it. In fact, we're going to 
we're going to spawn a revolution in this country. We're going to change this materialistic nation into some kind of utopia where peace and love is going to exist and we're all going to be in harmony with one another. And Were any of the rest of you there in the 60s? My wife, yes. <laughs> That's where we met. <laughs> there are a couple others. You know what I'm talking about. I became so disillusioned because we didn't experience peace and harmony. There was contention, people ripping one another off, bad drug deals, uh, anger, uh, selfishness. I mean, all the things that work against peace and harmony and living in some kind of utopia existed in the hippie world. I became very disillusioned, and in my search, I came upon a Christian community in Lexington, Kentucky that were living in a hundred-room school building that was a hundred years old, and there were about 50 of these Jesus freaks living communally in this building and working in the lower socioeconomic areas of the town, serving uh, the community and the people that lived there. And when I ran into these people, it was something in me was like that zazazoot. It was the Adam's response to Eve. It was like, wow, this is what I want to be like. This is who I want to be part of. I want to be connected to this group of people. And I became a Christian and ended up living in that Christian community while I was a college student and running a coffee house ministry and a campus ministry. It's when I met my wife, uh, who was also a, a bit of a hippie, not as radical a hippie as I was, but she needed Jesus just as much in her life as I did. And uh, that was 41 years ago. I was looking for community. People are looking for community. Psalm 133, and a familiar passage, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Say good and pleasant with me. Good and pleasant. It's a good thing to experience community with others. It's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing Life forevermore. There's life in community. There's something that we experience in community that we don't experience anywhere else. So um, I don't want to take a whole lot more time here. I'm trying to figure out. I'm going to go through this. Ryan, we'll just go through these slides kind of quickly, okay? I think that there are, there are these four, uh, five levels of community that we start experiencing when we become Christians. The first level is is Communion with God, communion with Christ himself. We're one with Jesus. There's this desire to follow him, a decision's made. Through Christ, we're invited into this eternal community. So that's the first step, the first level of community that we get to experience, authentic, real, eternal community. Then we have this desire to fellowship with each other. So that brings us to the second level, which is fellowship with other believers. We find the Bible uses the word koinonia, this fellowship with other followers of Christ who also have discovered this eternal community and relationship with Christ, and it joins us together in a really unique way. And then the third level of community is meaningful community. So we can come to church on Sunday morning and have good fellowship, and wow, we're all one in the Spirit, and we can sing kumbaya and hold hands and, and enjoy being in the church, the family of God. 
But there's another level beyond that, which is meaningful community. It's where it starts getting real for us. It's where we're starting to share our lives with one another. We're letting down all the pretense, and we're being ourselves with each other in this loving, accepting community. Uh, We desire meaningful community, and, and it only happens when there's proximity and frequency. We can't just come to church on Sunday morning once a week for an hour and a half and experience community. We need to connect with each other through the week. We need to live close enough to each other that we can go to a small group every now and then. We can be part of another group of people during the week somehow. We're, we're, we're experiencing community at a little bit deeper level with each other because of the time we're spending together. And then we want to go even a step further. The next level I call intimate community. And this is where it can get really real. It's where we you know, really begin sharing who we are and know that we're being received and loved and accepted and appreciated for who we are. And now we're starting to get into something that really is divine as we're experiencing this intimacy with each other. And it requires transparency and accountability and generosity. I use the term generosity there very widely. We have to be generous with our time and with our energy and offering it to others to be in relationship that's going to be really intimate and close. And then there's a fifth level of community that I call durable community. And durable community is, durable means existing for a long time without any significant deterioration. We want it to last. We don't want to just have kind of a one-off, wow, we really experienced closeness with that group of people last night. We really felt connected to them but then never experience it again, right? We want it to last over a long period of time. And that takes a lot of commitment and compassion. It's like a marriage that's going to last. You know, it's about 90% commitment. Uh, You commit yourselves to each other. So we want to experience community that is meaningful, intimate, and durable. So um, can you give me five more minutes? All right. I had somebody come to our church once, and he was going a little bit late, and he said, who can, you know, can, who can give me five minutes? And people started raising their hand. He went, 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30. I'm not going to do that to you, but I will, I will take a few more minutes. Uh, Philippians 2, verses 2 and 3, a great passage. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. That's community. That's that's eternal community. That's, you know, living with a group of people that have been transformed by the divine nature of God coming into their life through the Holy Spirit and bringing community out of the Trinity into their life, and they're able to live with one another this way. Here's the challenge. Here's the challenge. Turning a collection of individualistic, self-directed, multifocused, and disconnected people into a healthy Christian community. It's not the pastor's challenge. This is, this is God's challenge. This is the challenge of the Holy Spirit. When He comes into our life, He has to start changing us from the inside out so that we can experience community with one another in a meaningful, intimate, and long-lasting way. Well, everything we see in the Scripture has this interesting formula, not everything, but most things, has this interesting formula of there's things that only God can do, 
And then there's things that only we can do that we must do. It's this divine partnership, right? You've seen that, I'm sure, through all the Scripture. Ephesians 4 is one of those. This concept of community and unity, there's part that only God can do as He draws us into His eternal community and redeems our life and begins changing us from the inside out. Only He can do that by His Holy Spirit. But then there's a part that we have to do, and that brings me to Ephesians 4. I, therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Paul's laying out this beautiful passage here about our oneness, our unity, the community that we enjoy together in Christ. But there's something in this passage that tells us we have a responsibility. I said earlier that we don't create community, but here Paul is he's encouraging us, he's challenging us, he's commanding the church to maintain the unity of the Spirit. There's some responsibility we have in that. He says, walk in this manner, which, you know, walking in the Scripture is always a metaphor for your life's direction. Live this way in a manner that commends God to this watching world that brings Him glory by the way His people are living. Live this way. Eager to maintain. I looked at a number of different translations of just that phrase. Endeavor to keep. Hasten in your labor to keep. Work hard at keeping. Make every effort to keep. Be diligent to preserve. Try your best to remain. Strive earnestly to guard. This, is, this sounds like a lot of work, doesn't it? That's our responsibility. There's something that we have to do to maintain this place and community that God has given us out of eternity. And so Paul then lays out what it is. How do you maintain this? And he, he just lays it out right there in the passage. Number one, humility. Work hard at being humble. Endeavor to do all that you can possibly do in whatever strength you have to be humble. I had somebody once say to me, there's not any relationship problem that can't be solved with some big doses of humility. And you think about it, a lot of the conflict you have, whether it's in marriage or with your children or with your next-door neighbor or with your friend at school or your brother or sister at church is because of the pride that gets in our own life that wants us to come out ahead somehow at their expense. Number two, Paul says gentleness. And just, uh, yeah, you're catching up there. Thanks, Ryan. Uh, just push the buttons and go through this. I'm not going to give you the list. There's a good list here on each of these things. Uh, gentleness is not, it's not meekness in the sense of kind of wimpiness. It's not like being milquetoast Christians. The word there in the Greek means, it's, it's the word that would be used for a war stallion that's been harnessed and trained and is carrying the warrior. It's strength under discipline. That's what this word gentleness means. We speak gently, but there's the strength behind what we're saying, right? Uh, three, patience. Being long-tempered, suffering at great lengths. 
You know what uh, it means to not run from discomfort. Being a pastor for over 30 years, I've seen people get in relational difficulties within our church, and you try to meet with them and sort it out, and eventually one of them just leaves. They run from the discomfort of this person they don't like in the church. And my experience tells me that every time you do that, whatever church you go to, that person is going to be there. They may have a different color hair. They may be different height, different weight, but they're going to be there. They're going to irritate you and rub you the wrong way just as that person did that you left in that church you didn't want to be part of anymore. Patience is putting up with all those things that can be irritable to us. But more than putting up, Paul says, forbear with each other in love. And more than just putting up with somebody that's irritating to you, it's putting them ahead of yourself is what agape love does. It's preferring them to yourself. So unity of the Spirit. We don't create it. We inherit it. We, we are just given this wonderful thing that began from before time began between the Father, Son, and the Spirit in this relationship they had in eternity. And we are given that community when we come into Christ. And then when we connect with one another in Christ, we begin to experience that community with each other. It's a gift. We don't create it. We just have to maintain it. And we have to make some effort to overcome whatever could break this down between me and you. We've got to work at overcoming that because I believe this is not just a nice thing for us to experience. I believe it's really important to God that the church is a community of believers saying to the world, there's something of the divine nature of the Trinity that we are experiencing together. And you can't experience it. You can't get into it unless you get into Jesus. And then you're welcome to come and experience this with us. I think there's evangelism in that as well. Amen? Well, let me conclude there. Let's have the worship team come up. Uh, Let me invite you to stand. Uh, I'd like to pray for us this morning. So can you agree with me that this is something that we don't have to create? We're, We're just, we're given, it's given to us in Christ. How many of you want to experience that kind of community, eternal community? There's a few of you. That's good. That's a good place to start. <laughs> well, you know what? We can't do it without the Lord's help, right? Well, Father, I just pray for this congregation this morning. Lord, I pray that you'll take your word and continue to work it in their hearts in such a way, Lord, that they will be motivated to do all they can do to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Lord, I pray that you would give them doses of humility, and I pray there would be gentleness that would begin to come into their life. I pray for love, that forbearing love that just overcomes everything that could be irritable, and for patience, Lord. I pray that 
we would all be able to work hard at developing those qualities in our life to overcome whatever could hinder this divine community that you've provided for us. In Jesus' name, amen.